there and welcome back imposters to the you're not qualified podcast this is episode number 30 which is so exciting episode number 30 season two we're growing we're thriving we're doing the damn thing and i hope that you're enjoying the journey so far my name is courtney heater i'm your host And every week on Thursdays, we chat about imposter syndrome and more specifically, those people who are doing amazing things in their respective careers, hobbies, pursuits that they're not quote unquote traditionally qualified for. So they don't have the career backing for it. They don't have the degree backing for it. They were told time and time again, a lot of the time that they are not qualified to do what they are doing, but they say, F it, I'm doing it anyways. And they do stellar things They kill it, they kick ass. So we talk to those people, we highlight them in the hopes that you all go out and do the thing you are afraid to do because you don't feel qualified enough. That's the mission. And I hope you are inspired. If you are, please feel free to share this podcast broadly. It would mean the world to me as it grows. We are quickly approaching a thousand downloads of this podcast in 30 episodes, which I think is awesome. That's really cool. And it's because of you all talking about it, sharing it, listening every week. I appreciate you so much. I would not be here if I didn't have you. I mean, I would just be talking to myself. I do that anyways, but now I can just do it on a podcast. So a couple episodes ago with Jesse Butts, it was the episode that came out on August 25th. You're qualified to become a corporate director and podcast founder. We chatted a little bit about the benefits of jumping from your current job, your current um, company that you are at, to go to another job for the financial benefit of it. So going from the position you're in and then seeking out another company for the financial gains. You, It's you know known broadly that you will just get a fat raise if you go to a different company rather than staying at the current company you're at where your raises will be much less to 5%, usually annually, the raises. I don't want to tell you something about time. My time is worth money, and I don't think you make that kind of money to pay me for my time. And it got me thinking, because, you know, Jesse had some really interesting thoughts on it, and I'll let you go listen to the episode to really hear in depth. But it did get me thinking, there is another side to that. There's another side, another advantageous side to staying in the company that you're currently at. And growing your career there. And it's possible. It's hard, but it's very possible. So I sought out Lindsay Abila. She and I used to work together at a startup in Seattle. She has grown her career in amazing ways within that same company. She is now a program manager and she started out on the customer service team. And it's taken about five years. Uh, Lots of very hard work lots of networking, lots of finding mentors and figuring out what is a good fit for her. We talk about all of that together. But 
you know what? She did it. And she proved me partially wrong that I was like, it's just always more advantageous to probably leave, especially if you're looking for a higher income. But sometimes there are trade-offs to the income and there's some benefit to staying. And we get into it. We also talk about dogs, of course, obviously, and hot sauce and some other fun things. So you just gotta, you gotta listen. But without further ado, I will go ahead and introduce you to Lindsay. Let's go. Yeah, but did you hear the one about the three-legged dog that walked into the saloon and said, I'm looking for the guy that shot my paw. <laughs> so today we are here with Lindsay Abila. She is a program manager at a startup out of Seattle that now has headquarters all over the world called Rover.com. She is joining us today because she has grown her career within that startup company from basically the ground up now to a program manager. And so we are highlighting the amazing skill set, perseverance, really, and overall tenacity to grow your career from customer service if you want to grow out of customer service into something else that's a lot higher up in the company over a few years. So thank you so much, Lindsay, for being here and welcome. Yeah, thank you for having me. All right. So I love to start with the your traditionally not qualified stance, just to kind of like get it in the door here. So for the current position you're in, you're a program manager at rover.com on operations. Is that right? That's correct. And people go to school specifically for that. We are both in tech and I've seen the resumes of other people that are vying for very similar positions in tech companies. We'll get into it a lot more in depth, but you worked your way up. Do you feel qualified to be doing what you're doing? I don't even feel qualified to be on this podcast. So <laughs> me either. Not really. You mentioned like the resume part of people's resumes and like mm. they have all these certificates and degrees in program management and things like that. And I don't have that. I have a basic business management degree from Western. And I started out as like a customer service representative. And it's hard to think like one day you'd move out of that. I think when you're in customer service, you feel like you're always going to be there. Yeah. And so it was definitely very nice to get out of that. And I do think there's some benefits of working on the front line and then working in the behind the scenes. So that's been cool. But Definitely still don't feel qualified trying to do better about embracing the challenges and everything like that. Embrace the imposter syndrome. And yep. it's, yeah, no spoiler alert for what we always talk about on this podcast, but it's par for the course. I think everybody feels that way at some point in their life and none of us ever know what we're doing. Yeah. I've actually opened up about that when I first started too with some of like the senior program managers of just, Hey, I'm so lost or I don't know how to use this. I feel so uncomfortable when I do this. And it is really nice to hear from people who are higher than you are being like, Hey, I felt the same way. Here's what I did, or here's what helps me. That's been really nice to hear from other people as well. And you realize like you're not alone and what you said, we all go through it. We do. Yeah. Even some woman I really look up to, I, I had sent her a message today about something. And then she replied and she's like, actually, I have something to ask you. She's like, I always get really worried about sending these kinds of emails. Can you proof my email first? Aww. And I'm like, 
you're so far above me, but yes, of course. And it's really, it's a humbling thing for you probably. And it's definitely for me. I'm just like, that's amazing that I'm not the only person that's just, I don't know what I'm doing. Totally. Burn it to the ground. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We started at Rover about the same time on the customer service team. So did you just hit your five-year mark? Yeah, I hit five years in July. Gotcha. Okay. So I, yeah. It, I started a little bit before you then, okay. very close, but the, the customer service team, definitely we were both on that. And what did you do before Rover? Yeah. When I graduated high school, I worked at an animal hospital in Bellevue and it was probably my all time ever favorite job. I always okay. say if money wasn't a thing, I would go back and work there. I love the owner. It's so fun. But I worked there for two years, I saved up to go to college. And then I went to Western where... I got my business management degree and then it was hard. So one thing that's interesting about going to school to get a degree is I think older folks, I think about like my parents and my auntie and my uncle, they're always like, you're going to so easily get a job out of, out of college. And it it was hard. And I knew Rover was where I wanted to work because like shortly before I graduated, I looked up companies of what's the top places to work in Seattle. And then I found Rover that kind of combines the love for pets as well as my degree didn't work out for a long time. So for a short time, I worked at a company that sold NetSuite, which was like a cloud management. I didn't really know what I did there. That was probably impossible. That's over my head. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I didn't like it (laughs) at all. What is the cloud? (laughs) Yeah. And I just was not invested. But funny story is, so along the way, I tried to apply for Rover, like all these different roles, things I was not qualified for things like I felt I was very qualified for wasn't gaining traction and then one day so I answered the phone calls there and this person from Rover called and was like hey I'm from Rover.com I would be very interested in potentially pursuing using your services and stuff and I was like oh my god and in my mind I was like I'm only going to transfer you if you offer me a job but I felt (laughs) like it was the sign to me to go back and like try again and I like was a little bit more aggressive and I went I remember going on LinkedIn and like messaging random people being like, Hey, Mm -hmm. so I submitted like these 12 applications. Can you please look at it and pass it to someone who can review it and stuff. So that ended up working. And then shortly after that, I've been at Rover since. That is so good of you. I (laughs) have heard that over and over that the old way of applying is out the door. You have to get on LinkedIn, find people in the company, find basically mentors and people to take to coffee, take out for a beer and yep. get in front of them. Yeah. And that's how I started too. When I really, I was like, I don't really want to like go for a coffee. I really just want someone to review my resume, but it's a good way to like open up the door and mm-hmm. maybe that's what they rather do. And that's totally fine. But yeah, someone who has been a hiring manager, there are so many applications. Mm-hmm. And so like, when we talk about like imposter syndrome, like if I were to go and apply for, if I were to apply for my program management role and not have been at West or at Rover, they probably would have just passed it over. Cause it's so hard to like, when you're changing fields, it's so hard to put everything you do and everything you've done so concisely on a resume to be like, Hey, yeah, I am qualified in a compelling way. Exactly. Concise way. Absolutely. And you just don't know the depth of it because you don't have time to read it. You don't have time to write it. And cover letters are a thing, but also I've heard that those aren't always read either. So I never read them. what do you do? Yeah. 
<laughs> what do you do? So you were, you were a hiring manager at Rover too? Yeah. So when I became like, I worked as an agent up to a lead and then I moved over to be a supervisor and then a manager. And so when I was a manager of the grooming team and the CX team, I worked on hiring. Ah. So I hired contractors and then some full-time employees. Gotcha. Grooming throwback. Oh, I miss grooming. I wish they still did that. It would be really nice to have somebody come to my home again. That's fair. I miss Rover now. Yeah, that was really fun. That was one of the most fun products I've ever worked on ever. Yeah. It was just like, what's next all the time. Yep. And it was really exciting. Yeah. And I think I was really lucky to be able to move over to that team because I started out on like general CX. And then (laughs) I remember being asked to cover for a day, like, hey, we have everyone out. This is when the team was super small. There was only one person who worked on weekends. And so they're like, hey, can you cover for us? And I was like, sure, I would love to, like brand new at Rover. I was like, I would love to try. I remember I did something wrong and this like sitter reached out and was like, I am never going to use Rover again. This is the worst service because honestly, I don't remember what I did, but she was just yelling at me. And I went, I remember going to the manager being like, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to do this and stuff. And then realizing like less than a month later, she's like, do you want to move over to the team? And so (laughs) must not have been that bad. (laughs) I know. I think you realize, I don't know, working customer service, I feel like you just always, it's hard to not realize that there are a lot of happy people out there. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, you deal with a lot of bad. Because the bad screams at you and the happy sometimes might leave a five-star SAT rating. Yeah. Yeah. Or CSAT rating. I haven't, man, I haven't thought of CSAT in so long, but (laughs) not SAT. That's a test of CSAT. (laughs) Yeah. So in the five years about at Rover, it is the time for a lot of people take the bachelor's degree four years plus like half of a master's degree. That's a lot of experienced people in program management. That's what they do to get into the field. Do you feel like the growth that you've seen at Rover is equivalent to going to school for the same thing? Yeah, I would 100% say so. I would say even like I learned way more on the job than I ever would have like with a degree. I just, I think about what I learned in college and some of it's very valuable and things that it's good to have as a basis, but things are so different. Like even think about like program management courses I've taken or books that I've read on program management. And it's it's never like totally translatable and everyone's going to do it differently. And so it's been really nice to like learn it in the wild, as you might say, and on the job and I don't know. Sometimes it does make me think of like, how valuable could a college degree be when you can like learn so much on the job? It's interesting too, though, like going back to hiring is you do look for that though. I don't know. Would I rather have someone with five years experience in program management or four-year degree with less in the field? So I've always thought that was interesting. Yep. It is the the highlight on your resume, especially if you went to school for the same thing. There's lots of positions at the company I'm at now where they prefer college grads like out of school and they will, there's people that's their role. The recruiters are college recruiters that are trying to pull from that applicant pool that are studying it. And I've always found that interesting too. Like you said, is it as valuable than just finding somebody that's 
even been in a similar industry and has the working experience. I do have like qualms about those kids that are coming right out of college and getting six figure jobs. And like, you didn't go through enough hell to get here. <laughs> you have not paid your dues yet. You haven't paid your dues. It's so annoying. <laughs> I totally agree. I, and I, in a way, I think it's like an outdated idea. And there's just so yeah. many things out there like there are certificates, there's YouTube, there's other classes you can take where I don't think a four-year degree is something that is required for everything. Mm -hmm. I would prefer my doctor to have a four-year degree, but absolutely, <laughs> Ideally, and know anatomy very well. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your career goals with the degree that you did have then with your business admin? Yeah, so actually I went to school because I wanted to become a sportscaster. That was my dream. I wanted to be a debater on the show First Take. So but, specific. Yeah, it was my show. Love was, that. Yeah. But and when I, so I did my AA at Bellevue College and I loved like the communications classes I took and the reporting classes. And then I went into it at Western and I remember like my second quarter in or some pretty early on, I got, I took this reporting class and we were assigned to go to this random assigned neighborhood in the city that I just moved to, didn't know anything about Bellingham at the time. And you were supposed to knock on people's doors and figure out, essentially figure out like what's going on in the community and write a story about it. Wow. And I just remember no one wanting to talk to me, getting the door closed in my face. And just, I remember just breaking down and I was like, this is not for me. I could not do it. And I remember trying to go back out the next day and I just couldn't get myself. And so I ended up dropping out of like journalism and communications oh, and I switched no. over to business management, mostly because I was like, this will apply anywhere. It will. And I do have the question of how would knocking on people's doors, basically soliciting <laughs> actually apply to the sports sportscaster world when those people are there for an interview? Yeah, that well, valuable. it would have been nice if Western had like a sports journalism degree, which I know some colleges have. I think this one was just general journalism. And so if I were to oh. go into news or something like that, it'd probably be more applicable. But because it was like required to do other ones, it wasn't like I could just skip out of it and drop that class real fast. Yeah. Were you able to give feedback on that sucked? I did. I actually sat down with a teacher before I dropped out and let her know, hey, here's my struggles. Because I, I really didn't want to have that withdrawal on my, on my history. And so I talked to her about it before and she talked about what was to come in the future if I stayed with it. And she gave me some tips, but I think ultimately we decided it's probably not for you, which is totally fine. Like you can take the W now and it won't impact much. And so that's what I did. You figured it out early-ish. Yeah. Yep. So that's definitely a plus. Then you can yeah. move into something else. And business admin, you can do so much with that, as you said. Yeah, it's very generic. Yeah. I feel put on any resume and people are like, ooh, that applies. Business. Yeah. 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 <laughs> this is a business. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you could pinpoint three qualities then that are leading to your success even now and have throughout your career at Rover for working your way up. Rover is not... It's a startup and I would say that it's like any startup where it's not easy to move up, especially if you don't want to just be a manager, a people manager, because yeah. that is usually the path. There's some product manager growth, but you really have to work hard to move up. So how, what would you say is your advice? How did you do it? 
Yeah, that's a good, that's an interesting point too, because I remember early on when I got there, having a conversation with my manager at the time being like, hey, I do want to go into like program management, but I also know I'm a CX agent where usually people management is now like the route for that and just Mm -hmm. discussing that. And essentially she told me the same thing of we can try to go the program management route and I'm here to support you, but it's going to be a lot harder for you to get there. And it's yep. going to take a lot longer. But like a couple qualities that I that come to mind, and the first one is very cliche, but like the ability to work in, oh, I hate this word, ambiguity. Just especially in a startup where like things are ever changing, people are going to throw things at you. You're going to start things and then people are going to be like, oh, actually, we're not going to go that direction anymore. So to be able to like work on the fly, not let it, you know, get you because you're not finishing these projects, I think are really important. Yeah. It's also really fun. Like we talked about on those like Rover now and grooming where like we were just trying to figure things out. It's really fun. Yeah. Um, you're but, seeing what sticks. Yeah. But it's not for everyone. I think some people like structure more, but I found it pretty fun. Another thing that I think is really important is that you have to learn to advocate for yourself. And I was not good about this. Like when I first came in, I think fresh out of college, pretty much in this tech startup in Seattle, it's very like daunting to be like oh this is what I want but I definitely learned over the years like no one's going to advocate for you like yourself like your manager's not going to HR is not going to your coworkers aren't going to and so I think that's a very important trait to have or even just to learn try little things here and there speak up for yourself and then it becomes easier and another one is I always try and seek feedback I remember one time working with a senior manager that I looked up to a lot. And we actually did like a hiring loop together. And after he got off the call, she had messaged me and was like, Hey, that was so fun to do with you. Do you have any feedback for me of what I could do better next time? And it was the first time I ever experienced that, but it was cool to have a place where that was welcoming and for her to be so open about it. That is something that I try and do now as well. Be like, Hey, what could I have done better? Or what did you like that I couldn't keep doing? Which I find funny. The first, my first ever review at Rover still don't know who said this but they said I did not take feedback well and I just remember getting so defensive about it and I was like what do you mean and I think it goes to show the energy you give off when people like say things that like counteract you go a long way and you might not realize it but sometimes you have to like take that step back so it's very interesting to me to advocate for feedback when I was once the person who like did not take it well I feel that deeply I am (laughs) just getting to the point where I'm like seeking out tough feedback, constructive feedback, because I want to get better. But so often I would just cry, actually cry. And then I'd have to take a moment, leave the meeting room, go for a walk around the block, come back. And I did that to a couple managers at Rover and they had the tough feedback then. And they're like, like, we know this is hard, but it'd be really beneficial if you had a poker face with it and you like learn to receive it and you learn to like actually apply it and as I'm like choking back more tears I'm like okay yeah but it's so hard yeah that sounds great I'm so sorry yeah and I think the one thing about seeking out feedback is then when you receive it later on because like at Rover you get them what twice a year Mm -hmm. maybe once a year getting it more throughout the year you get more used to hearing things like that you can improve on. And so hopefully then when you get like that formal review that is clearly impacting your raise and your promotions, it's easier to take then. Absolutely. And then especially if it's constructive in the point where it's specific, this is what you can work on to get to the next level. 
That is so ideal. Yeah. And it also goes back into your point of seeking that feedback is you can ask for very specific points. It's like, if they're like, Hey, you're not meeting this. Be like, if you had to give me two things to start doing tomorrow, what are those things? When you started at Rover, did you want to work your way up and intentionally focus, staying, growing, have a North Star career trajectory when you started? Or was it just like a one thing led to another? You did say you were looking into program management, uh, but did that start right away? I would say yes and no. I think when I first came there, I had this idea of the glamorous climbing up the corporate ladder. So I think when I first started, I definitely had the determination to to grow within like the same company. There, there did get points where I was like, this is not for me. And it wasn't necessarily always like Rover. Sometimes it was the position. And I do think it did get to a point where one thing left that led after another. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to interview to be a program manager. And to be honest, I was very surprised I got it. After the interview, you mean you're surprised you got the job? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was like, right. That's how surprised I was. But yeah, I there's definitely gone points where I'm like, this isn't for me, whether it was like, do I want to work in like this startup culture? Do I want something that's a little bit more secure? Do I want to still at that time work in people management? I knew by leaving though, if I did want to go into program management, it'd be really hard just because I didn't come with that experience. And like we talked about earlier, it's hard to really portray that being like, oh yeah, I was a customer service representative, but here's how I actually do qualify as a program manager. Uh, So I think it was definitely a little bit of both. How did the question or the opportunity even come up to interview for a program management position? I looked on the Rover careers page and it it happened to show up. And I remember going through my manager at the time who set me up with the hiring manager and we discussed and then I like applied. So, Cause like when you get to a certain level, I feel as an agent, like you naturally get promoted of you take on more opportunities. You've been here for a certain amount of time, but once you hit like that supervisor manager, anything above that, you have to keep interviewing for it. Found it on the careers page, got in sync with the hiring manager. And then I honestly went through just like any other person did. Wow. Were you close with the hiring manager? Had you worked with them? I had never worked with him before. That's amazing. So it was basically like he was hiring externally because he doesn't know your work directly. Yeah, he could ask people, but directly working with you. Yeah, totally. One thing that I do have to say is nice is like, I have interviewed outside of Rover before and trying to like give Rover examples is very hard because like working on new business lines, it's you have to really define what the service is and then go into what your experience is because they're not going to understand. They don't, yeah. And so it was really nice interviewing here being like, okay, so you remember Rover now? Okay, here's what I did. And like, you don't have to give the backstory. (laughs) And then when I hear (laughs) glimpses of them talking about Rover now, and I'm like, oh, RIP. Like we worked so hard on that. It's so funny. Whenever anyone says Rover now, like I literally always whisper RIP. Yeah. (laughs) They're just like conversation. (laughs) Oh, what a catastrophe, but a beautiful one at that. Yes. And truly beautiful. What are the two or three challenges that you faced in growing that career then? Like all the way up, if you could pinpoint. Yeah, a couple that come to mind. The first one that comes to mind is like when I became like supervisor managerial level. As I worked my way up, it like got to a point where I was now managing people I once worked like alongside like equally that sometimes it was hard to get respect from the people, oh no, actually now I have to like 
hold you to this specific standard or I have to do this and that it got hard to earn respect from certain people just in terms of having that different relationship. And I think how I overcame that is just, I realized the importance of having that conversation and communicating like, Hey, here's what I'm doing now. Here's my goals. Here's how I'm going to support you. And just having that open conversation. Cause I think it got to a point where like one example I think of is when I got to that level, I had more leverage of here's what we're going to do, or here's what projects we're going to focus on. And I think others might have felt like I undermined that of, oh, I'm just taking control when I should have taken a step back of, Hey, what are you owning? What have you done? What does this project mean to you versus like me, like just coming in bullheaded. So that was different, difficult to overcome though, trying to readjust that relationship with your peers. When you say that though, it is, it's a little triggering because I'm like, would you honestly think you'd feel that way if you were a man? Do you think other people would be like, she's being bullheaded? That's a very good question. I think the answer is no. Yeah. And come in, you're, this is now your job. Yeah. They would probably be like, oh, he's kicking ass. Look at him taking the reins. Exactly. Yeah. You are now doing the job that you were given. Yeah. You are the program leader, manager. They have to look to you. It's your ideas. Of course, you can bring other ideas to the table, but you don't have to step back and act small. Hi, hi. This is your should be episodic reminder to not act small because you're not small. Your ideas are not small. Your ideas are grand. Your ideas are good. If you are at all worried that your ideas are not good, still throw them out there and just approach it like, hey, got this idea. What do you guys think? Don't be afraid to step in, take charge when you are put in charge of a project or a program or a product or any of the other P's out there. Don't be afraid. It is something that was given to you to lead and people trust you to lead that or you wouldn't be in that position. I promise you. And just like I was telling Lindsay, she said she was being bullheaded and I wasn't in the room with her, but I could just about guarantee you that she probably wasn't. She probably wasn't. And if she was a man, she probably would not have gotten that feedback. Uh, Don't come for me. We all know that it's probably true because that's just the world we live in. But because it's the world we live in, we know it, we own it, we fight back, we continue to call it out when we hear it and lift each other up and, you know, put each other on a pedestal because we deserve to be there and our ideas are valid. Your ideas are valid. End of story. All right, back to it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing too, when you first get into a new position is it's hard to not be like, to step back and minimize yourself. You and I get like, you know, like the piece, especially with people that you know, and you worked with before the dynamics change and that's difficult, but the dynamics change anywhere. It's a job. Yeah. Yeah. And that's actually how I phrase it too, is I'm not out here to get you. I'm not trying to like get you in trouble or honestly keep doing what you're doing. But at the end of the day, like we're still friends. This is my job. Let's keep them separate if we have to, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have to be like end of the world. Yeah. Definitely. The, I love that you, so you had in your notes that when you moved fields is when imposter syndrome really went into full effect. Yep. So it definitely happened like managerial level. That is when I would say it like really 
kicked in. And so I got some really good feedback from one of my most favorite mentors. Her name is Jennifer Redding. And she was actually one of the youngest in the room for a long time as like a program manager. And she had some college, but no formal degree or anything like that. And a lot of times with, for her, she was actually the only like female manager in the room, which is a little bit different today. I have a lot of females on my team. It's like a good balance. But some things that she had said to me that really stuck out was like, first, we mentioned this earlier, recognize that imposter syndrome is real and understand that this is what you're experiencing versus trying to say it's not real and be real with yourself. Yep. Remind yourself that you're promoted or hired for their position for a reason. And I, I really try and do this too, because I think at first I like, I fall back and like, oh, I got lucky or I was an internal employee. So they felt like they needed to move me over making all these other excuses versus no, I have done my work. I put a lot of work in these past five years that I deserved it. So again, like being an advocate for yourself and understanding like you probably deserve this and this is why you're here. 100%. A lot of companies don't favor internal hires. You have to prove yourself just like yeah. an external hire. And I don't think the position you were in is any different. Oh, I agree. I've heard, of, I actually heard of a couple other people who applied internally and I thought they would get it and they didn't. So I, I agree that you're held to the same standard as it should be, but I always enjoy when you can get promoted from within. Yeah. Absolutely. Another one she said was like, own your title, which has actually helped me a lot instead of, cause I, when you come into a new position, you're talking to a lot of people and they're like, okay, sounds great. Tell me what you do. And I remember when I first started, I tried to like say it very formally and professionally and jargon it out and all this stuff. And then like they ask follow-up questions and then you're like, actually, I don't know. And so being able to say it in your own words and make it make you feel comfortable about it, I think is really important because you're going to come across all these new people throughout your, your journey and you're going to have to explain what you do. So find a way to say it that makes sense to you and that mm -hmm. you can explain it. Two other things was like, recognize that you don't need to know everything. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to raise your hand and say, I don't know, but I will find the answer for you. I think that's really important. That's the trick. Yep. Yep. And it's great too, because like, then it ventures you out to meet new people and see what they do. And then like, you have that sort of relationship going forward as well. And then lastly, lean on your team. Hopefully you have a really good team where you can do that. I definitely feel like I do, but a lot of times they're very happy to share their knowledge, point you in the right direction. And it can only really help you move forward and strengthen those relationships you have with them. And then you go back and forth. I'll help you on this. They'll help you on that. Exactly. People love talking about what they're passionate about. Yeah. And I feel like there's at least like a part of you that's passionate about the work that you're doing usually, unless you're like completely burned out. Yep. Yeah. So like it brings that out of people too, which is exciting. It's fun to see people really talk about what they like and then you learn something along the way. Agreed. So, I totally yeah, agree. Those are really good points. There are new startups all the time though, like in new business ideas to start. You can join early like we did. What advice do you have for those who are starting their career and aren't sure where they want to grow? And in that, would love to know what you would do differently. Yeah, I would say if you're just starting out and you don't know what you want to do, like either find, find a skill you want to strengthen, find a skill that like interests you, or even find a company that you like stand by their mission. So for me, that was Rover where I love dogs, love pets. Like I would love to be a part of that mission. And I think that's a good place to start. Like 
maybe it's even money. Just find that reason why you're going there and figure out like how you want to, I guess, essentially, like, what do you want to learn from that? And then I think a big thing that I learned early on, both in college and at Rover is you're not going to know you don't like it until you do it. And so don't be afraid to take chances and don't feel like if you do take a chance, you have to like it. I went into people management because I thought, hey, this is the route you take when you go into uh, customer service. And I absolutely hated it. Did not like people managing it, people management. And I would have never known that unless I did it. Cause like I had people managers that I looked up to and I was like, oh, I want to be just like you. And I got to, and I just realized like the way I work and my personality just is not fit for that. So don't be afraid to try something and be like, nope, on to the next. Curious how long it took for you to figure that out. So there's a little part where like we did hit the pandemic. So it was a little bit different, but I would say almost a couple months in. That's quick. It was because I did, I missed doing like being on the ground, doing the work. I didn't like telling people what they needed to do. Yeah. And so I just missed doing some of the dirty work. So rather than just delegating that dirty work, yeah. I feel that. Yeah. But Hey, wouldn't have known if I didn't do it. Exactly. I've never tried people management. I think I also would not like it. I actively, <laughs> I've actively avoided it in my career. Yeah. Yeah. It does not seem like me at all, but so when you hate networking, oh, what's that yeah. about? <laughs> yeah. So something that one thing that I learned at Rover is like a lot of people would do, let's grab coffee. Tell me about you. Tell me about what you do in the company. And I remember uh, seeing people do that and like I started doing it and it was very uncomfortable for me at first, but I think it's a great way to no strings attached being like, Hey, tell me what you do. Like, do you like this field? How did you get here? And yes, I do hate networking. And that's why I don't really do it outside of Rover, but it's like networking within your own company and like leverage those people you work with that you already have a relationship with and for figure out like what they did. Yeah. I can agree with that. And like we said earlier, networking is the new job resume. It's the totally. new job application. Like yeah, you just have to do it. It's all about the people. And that was one thing that I learned also like with sports casting, it's mm-hmm. very hard to get your foot in the door. If like you don't know someone in that industry. And so I totally agree. I wish it was something else better. At. I think the older I get and the more like comfortable in what I do it becomes a little bit easier but I remember when I first came out of college like I would not talk to anybody wow and <laughs> here you like, are on a podcast I know <laughs> there we go honestly did you want to say no it's okay if you wanted to say no, <laughs> no I was actually very surprised and honored okay yeah. good I'm happy to hear that I am honestly seeing it from the sidelines like just job after job with your growth, I'm just like, fuck yeah. Yeah, this is amazing. I love seeing it. And as frustrating as a startup is, it's really amazing for growth. It yeah. is, especially if you don't know exactly what you want to do. Out of college, you're not going to college at all. It's a great place to get your hands dirty and figure out what you hate and what you really like. I totally agree. Because there, because there's so much going on, if you're like, hey, I don't really like this, there's usually either a different project you can work on, another team that you might be able to switch to, yeah. especially if you're like really early on, that you can really dabble in different things, which is really nice. Yeah, like those new business lines come up and you're like, ooh, what's this about? I know. <laughs> we got to get scrappy about it. And I am curious if I were to like, and if when I got out of college, if I ended up like Amazon or one of those more older companies, I wonder where I would have ended up. 
Same. I would love to jump into the one topic that is to me, to some kind of controversial, but I also feel is the just, it's just the damn truth about staying at a company or jumping to another company. One downside to staying at a company as you have, rather than leaving after a couple of years is the financial growth potential. We talked a little bit about it. A lot of startups will, and not public companies too, but they do a lot of your compensation in stock. The difference with a private company versus a public company is you don't know what that stock is worth when they're paying you with it. But the frustrating, really frustrating things they will use that as part of your compensation package without you understanding what the value is going to be. And your base pay is a lot lower. As you grow at that company does not mean your base pay is going to jump beyond 2%, 5% every raise opportunity. Whereas if you jump companies, you could go 10, 20, 50% more than sometimes 100% more than what you're making. What's the draw here to staying at a company rather than jumping ship? Yeah, honestly, I learned that fact like pretty late in the game. I feel like when I first got to Rover, didn't look on LinkedIn, didn't look at anything. Like I was like, this is where I'm going to be. Because I went into thinking like, if I'm loyal to a company, not even just Rover, like a company, Mm -hmm. they will be loyal to me. And then the riff happened and I realized like, Hey, no one's ever really safe. And that's when I started hearing those things or even like talking to people who left making bank. And so I think what I would say about that is if where you're at, you should either be earning or learning. You better be making bank or at least sharpening your skills. And I think I'm at a place right now where I'm, I'm going into the field that I really want to pursue for a long time. And if I were to like jump a company, let's say it's going to be hard to get those skills. Cause I still, still nine right. months in, it's not as transferable. So I'm in that earning phase. It is very interesting. I also think it's another outdated idea where you should stay at a company for a long time. Cause I remember hearing that and like my mom did it. My dad did it. Yeah. He has yeah. a pension and he's going to retire with the same company. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think it's that thing you look up to of, oh, it's this glamorous thing to stay at a company for so long, but there are things you're missing out currently in the earning phase. But like, as long as that company is giving something to you that's beneficial, whether it's money, skills, you just love it, then. Yeah. I think that's really powerful and understanding that you have both options in your back pocket. You can grow, you can learn. In a safe environment because you are promoted within. So there's this understanding that you'll need a little bit more ramp up time. You'll need some mentorship. And it's like usually easier to get. Whereas if you're hired into a role, they expect you to hit the ground running just about everywhere. I think that's a really good point that there is that sort of like comfort and you're working with people you may have worked with before, like that at least know your name or your history. Also, I hate interviewing. I like interviewing now, but just because it's like a hobby, but for a job when everything, like job interviewing. Oh yeah. Like the stakes are on heck no. (laughs) I remember doing this one interview and I stressed out so bad that I had a two day migraine. And I was like, first of all, I will never let my job do that to me again. Mm -hmm. Second of all, let me make sure I'm only interviewing for companies. I really want to. Yeah. No kidding. That's awful. Yeah. That's a lot of stress. Yeah. Before job interviews, I can't eat. I often don't sleep. Yes. Yeah. It's like going through a romantic relationship almost. It's pretty bad. And it's, it's just really worth it. And then it's bad when you like do all that and you get sick and then you don't get the job. (laughs) (laughs) That is the worst. Yeah. (laughs) And then there's lots of tears in there. 
especially because you've just invested so much. Yeah. Tis. We all go through it at some point. We do. It's just the name of the game. Yeah. Very truly. A fun question because you're the hot sauce peddler. That's always <laughs> how I've known you. We didn't know each other very well because we didn't, we like cross paths. We didn't work directly together, which is yeah. a bomber. But I remember, <laughs> always remember there was just like a plethora of hot sauce hanging out. <laughs> and then one day randomly you're like, Hey, we do like hot wings challenge, hot sauce stuff at like my house. And like, I'm bringing them to the office. And would you like to try them? You know what? I'm pretty sure you asked like right as the pandemic hit. And then we never went back into the office. If I remember correctly, because I never tried the hot sauce and I was really upset. I think that is right. Cause yeah, I couldn't quite remember when, cause I was like, I remember talking about it, but I never tried the hot sauce. Yeah, because that is true. Cause I remember doing it on my team as like just a couple of us. And then I remember venturing out being like, who else wants to try this really yeah. hot sauce? Yeah. Who else wants to kill their taste buds with me? <laughs> like I want the hot sauce challenge. I want it. Yeah. It sounds so fun. But what makes a great hot sauce? Expert hot sauce. I think don't underestimate the importance of flavor. I think it for me, I want a hot sauce where like I'm debating going in for the next bite because it's so hot, but also it tastes so good that I'm like, I have to go back for it. I feel like there's so many companies now who are like, oh, let's make the hottest hot sauce. So like the bomb, mad dog, things like that, where it's like, you're not going to have customers coming back. Because first of all, I've used the bomb three times and now I can just pass it around for everyone to use it in the office. But yeah, I think it's very important to have good flavor. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm familiar, you're familiar with Michael. From Rover. He's not at Rover now. Yeah. But yeah, he is a really big fan of cheese curds because yes. Wisconsin. Sure. And he always brings me back cheese curds whenever he goes. And this time he brought back ghost pepper cheese curds. And Ooh. they are so spicy, but so good. And I'm like, you can only eat a couple yeah. because your mouth is on fire. But yeah, they're just so delicious. And you don't get that combination too often. So I love that. That's interesting. Ghost pepper cheese curds. They're very good. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost yes. pepper is pretty hot. It is. It's very hot. What is the hottest pepper? Ooh, I think it's the Carolina Reaper right now. Ooh, right now it changes. It does. Like the Scoville changes. What's the, I may Crazy. or may not be Googling this. What is the hottest pepper? The Carolina Reaper. Oh my God. Have you had it? Yes, I have. Is it very hot? I haven't had it like by itself. No. It's, it's hot. And that like, I find sometimes when it's like the Carolina Reaper, those are those hot sauces where it doesn't taste that great. So like my favorite, my go-to hot sauce is Syrah. It cut off there, but it's very, very, very important to me that you all know that her favorite go-to hot sauce is Sriracha. One of my favorites is one called Las Calientes and they have a mild one and then a hot one. That's really good. And then we used to do like the Hot Ones subscription package. And there was one that came through that was called Smoke and Ed's Picnic Hot Sauce. And it was, I think it was Scotch Bonnet and like cucumber. And I was like, this is going to be weird. This is going to be really hot. And it was so good. It was like oddly very hot, but very refreshing at the same time. That sounds delicious. Yes. So that one was really good. Refreshing hot sauce sounds wonderful. Yeah, who knew that could be a thing? My current favorite hot sauce is Fix Sriracha Hot Sauce. 
Ooh. I don't know if you've ever had it. it. You can find it at Whole Foods and it is very sugary, which I like because it like okay. it's spicy, but it also has a lot of sweetness to it. Highly recommend. I always have a bottle of it and I put it on everything. Like, like sweet heat. It is sweet heat. Okay. Yep. And it's not too much. It's like a sweeter sriracha. Love it. Yeah, it's very good. Highly That's all. Good, good to know. Do you recommend the, what'd you call it? The hot sauce subscription? subscription? Yeah. Absolutely not. Okay, yes and no. Well, like specifically it, the hot ones, I guess. It's really fun and yeah. it's fun to get it. But girl, I have two shelves of hot sauce that are so hot that I can't use it. And so it's, I'm just storing all this extra hot sauce and like nothing else in my fridge I feel like because you get three a month and there's usually two that are like really hot and then there's one that you can use regularly and so all these really hot ones are just hanging out until I want to do another chicken wing challenge so I would say yes and no I would say maybe don't do it for like two years like we did maybe just do a couple months or like you can also do where like you build your own box specifically like the hot ones Mm. um but yeah if you, want, I mean, good. if you want a whole fridge full of hot sauce, yeah, it's a great idea. <laughs> Maybe I'll just stop by and take some off your hands. Please, I have <laughs> so many. Come see Socks and Luna. How are they? Yeah, they're really good. Luna's four now and Socks just turned 11. <gasps> yeah. That baby. Oh, we're talking about her pit bulls. Yes. Beautiful pit bulls. Yes. So yeah, Socks is getting a little bit older. He's still pretty fast, but like... Mm-hmm. He, throw treats at him and he like hits him in the head so that's always sad but he's still up and running don't worry and funny I got Luna through someone who used to work at Rover oh really yeah I love that she's a babe yeah she's a good girl I miss socks too I don't think I met Luna but I definitely met socks he was just like the sweetest big-headed boy sitting there staring at everybody walking by yeah he loved the office you just put him in an office chair and he's good yeah he gets to watch people people think he's cute so he knows he's going to get pets yeah i took luna into the office i think twice but she can be dog aggressive especially because it had that baby gate in between so she didn't Mm -hmm. like hearing the sound of other dogs so she didn't do as well but she likes being at home better just like me yeah (laughs) (laughs) i home is the vibe yeah for sure What's next for your career? Wish I could tell you. I think probably right now, just figuring out more about the ropes of the program management world, get more experience under my belt. Really like the team that I'm on right now and doing some fun work there. So continue doing that. That sounds really fun. Thank you so much, Lindsay, for being on the You're Not Qualified podcast with all of your wealth of knowledge of growing within one company and appreciate you. I hope that the rest of your journey goes amazingly and thank you for being here. Thanks, Courtney. Appreciate the opportunity. Welcome to the end of the episode, Imposters. It it might be my bias of falling more in love with doing this hobby, but I do feel that The conversations are getting better and better. The topic obviously is so important and something I'm very passionate about, so that doesn't hurt. But the people, man, the guests that I am so lucky to be able to talk to and interview are just continually, they blow me away. I couldn't be more excited to talk to all these folks every week that are just doing the most badass things with their lives and with their careers and are doing it 
even in the face of fear. Like it's not even fearlessly, there's fear there. There's, you know, a lot of setback there. There's self-doubt there, but they are doing it. They're just plowing through and getting it done. And I, I couldn't be like more proud of all of these people and the amazing things that they're doing in their lives. And I hope that you're inspired too. But thank you so much for listening. Once again, this is the 30th episode of the You're Not Qualified podcast. I'm excited for this milestone. But friends, if anything, if you take anything away, just keep keep at it. Keep working towards your goals. If those goals are at the company that you're currently at, then talk to your manager about it. Find a mentor that's doing what you want to do. Pick their brain. See where you need to grow to get there. Be honest about the track. And go and listen to this episode again because Lindsay says all of this and more and in a much more impactful way. So go and listen to her wise, wise words. All right, so trivia for today. We talked about the hot sauce and the Carolina Reapers are currently the hottest pepper. I learned that that changes and that's really exciting. And Lindsay mentioned the Scoville scale. So what is the Scoville scale? Straight from Wikipedia's mouth, the Scoville scale is a measurement of the pungency, spiciness, or heat of chili peppers as recorded in Scoville heat units with the acronym SHU. I'm going to butcher this, but it's based on the concentration of capsaicinoids, capsaicinoids, among with capsaicin <laughs> is the predominant component. So the scale is named after its creator, American pharmacist Wilbur Scoville, whose 1912 method is known as the Scoville organoleptic test. Uh, which is a subjective assessment derived from the sensitivity by people experienced with eating hot chilies. So stinking cool. There's tests and science for everything, and I'm here for it. Oh, okay, so this episode is under an hour. Yay, I'm getting better at this, and I'm, I'm so excited again that you're here. Please stay tuned for next week's episode coming out next Thursday. And until then, have a wonderful rest of your week and fabulous weekend, friends. I will see you later. Bye.